So this evening is the night of the no moon. The waxing, waxing moon. The moon starts waxing now. <laughs> it's good to always watch these cycles in nature. To, that's one thing. Some people want to form the, this tradition on the sun solar calendar, but I've always held out for the lunar one because I found it very, uh, you know, significant for me because it uh, it has to keep you have to keep aware of the phases of the moon, which I'd never ever thought of before I became a monk. I was reflecting this morning, we were doing the Fatimoka in here, and, and I was thinking that that uh, the 22 bhikkhus, and uh, I remember in 1975 at Wat Banana Chat, that was, uh, that's how my first impulse uh, thought of coming back to the West was because at that time, we had 22 bhikkhus <laughs> and one Pananacha. And then the, the Americans fled Vietnam, you know, this kind of humiliating <laughs> run, running out from Saigon. And then uh, Thailand became a kind of, you know, everybody thought Thailand would go because as soon as the Americans left Vietnam, then Laos, Cambodia went communist, and we were in Ubo and right on the borders of Laos and Cambodia. So I looked out at the 22 bhikkhus and I thought, what's going to happen to them if, when Thailand goes communist? <laughs> so then the, the idea, then I had this, we were invited up to Wat Bapong for the dana one time, and um, <coughs> And then uh, somebody brought uh, uh, hamburgers from uh, Burger King. There's a Burger King restaurant. <laughs> and, uh, and so Ajahn Shah gave me this, all these hamburgers to pass out, uh, you know, and because I was one of the monks that would pass out the food. So, so I gave out all the hamburgers and and all I had left for myself was just a hamburger bun. And <laughs> so I, I thought, what a fool am I? <laughs> Passing out all the hamburgers and I'm the one that really wanted one. And then uh, I, it's like this Proust, you know, this taking this, a bite of this cake and tea and you have some kind of insight or memory. And so I took a bite out of this hamburger bun, which wasn't very delicious, but it did bring back the memory of, you know, first thought of going back to the States. <laughs> and because uh, I'd never thought of going back to the States before, you know, just never had been my wish or intention. But with the communists, uh, <coughs> threatening the borders of Thailand and so forth. I took this as a sign. And then the 1976, my mother had the, was uh, sick with the swine flu. They had a swine flu epidemic in uh, 1976. And she was, they thought she was going to die. So I went home for the first time. I left America in 1960, 
the very beginning of 1964. And then in 1976, I went back for the first time uh, with the intention of seeing what would happen, to see my mother mainly, but then I went back with, a, with another monk, Warapanyo, Paul Breiter, who many of you probably know or have read his book, Venerable Sir, and, <clears throat> and a Thai uh, layman who acted as our kind of steward. So he flew from uh, Bangkok to Los Angeles and spent time with my mother. She was getting better. And, and then we went to New York and uh, my mother was very happy to see me, even as a Buddhist monk. I think if I'd gone home as a naked ascetic, she would have been glad to see me. <laughs> By that time, she didn't care what I was wearing. <laughs> but anyway, uh, and then I went uh, in New York and Boston and, and uh, that part of the States and met Buddhists, and but nobody seemed really interested. So then to get back to Thailand for the Vasa, I had to go to London and because uh, I had a free flight from London back to Bangkok through the Thai uh, International Airways. So I spent about four days and if those of you who remember 1976, the summer of 1976 was this hot summer, wonderful weather. You know, people always think of London and England as wet and cold and rainy, but those four days I was there, it was just superb. <laughs> the weather, anyway. And uh, that's where George, I met George Sharp, and that led me, and he really uh, seemed to have, uh, seemed like the English song of trust and all that <clears throat> was just like somebody, like a vehicle ready to go, but there was no driver. You know, they had had it all ready, and he had the attitude. Like he, his attitude, the reason why I came to England was because he just wanted monks to live here. He wasn't expect, ex exploiting us in any way to come here and teach or write or you know set up things or do anything, but just. The English Sangha Trust at that time, its main purpose was to support Buddhist monks living in the in England. And they had this house in uh, Belsangs Park, Hampstead Vihara. So I encouraged George to go in Thailand and see Ajahn Chah and ask him about it, <laughs> and, and which he did, and that's that's how I came here. So this idea of seeing the 22 bhikkhus at Nanachat, what's going to happen to them? And then the irony of this morning, 22 bhikkhus. And this is my last vasa here in Amravati. And I'm going back to Thailand. So it's like full circle. <clears throat> and I have set up monasteries. or been involved in that here in Europe and so forth. So, my my uh, intention was fulfilled, or is fulfilled. And so it seems appropriate to go back to where I started. So this is uh, one reason why I'm, I'm glad to be able to go back to uh, Thailand. <clears throat> Now, the, the Samana Live is one of just, you know, we, somebody uh, at, after the meal asked me about um, the, uh, you know, like lay people have to work and do things and, and practice meditation. <clears throat> uh, and so uh, he was asking about the Buddhist Samana, and I was saying, well, that's, our job is meditation. That's, that's our work, in other words. That's our profession. And so this led into, you know, the emphasis on bhati-bhata or <clears throat> meditation practice. So this, you know, this is, uh, this is our, we have the four requisites, 
and the Dhammabhinya. So then, then these are the, this is the package we, we use for cultivating, for uh, insight into reality. And that's our sole, sole duty, really, is, is to keep doing that, to keep penetrating through the illusions uh, of samsara till we break through it, you know, and, and uh, see, the realize Dhamma, know Dhamma in a direct way, not just ideas about Dhamma or what somebody says about it. <clears throat> So this is uh, like the sum of our life, you know, where uh, we generate this dana, this, these requisites, uh, uh, because of, you know, the respect the lay community has for our intention to practice and develop uh, and realize ultimate truth, ultimate reality. And so that, you might say that's our profession, putting it in, in those kind of worldly terms. <clears throat> so what, what is the position of a samana in the modern society? You know, is it, are we here to be teachers or writers or whatever, or and the reason why I came to England was because George Sharp made it very clear that he understood that that he wasn't expecting me or demanding or in any way uh, trying to get me to to teach or to to do anything other than to practice the Dhamma in England. So that's been the 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 kind of the the inspiration that uh, I received from George Sharp and the reason why I came to England because people keep asking me why I didn't go to the United States. <laughs> and uh, in the States I didn't find that in, that in those days, 1976. There's a lot of interest but they were always, you know, it was very much into uh, monasticism was not something they seemed that interested in. And also, you know, like uh, uh, everybody, you know, the lay community, everybody likes the Dhamma side of it all. We like the idea of letting go of suffering and, and that the Dhamma is, is all about letting go. And then the Vinaya is about, and this was Lung Pacha's conundrum to me one time, he said, you know, the Dhamma is, all, is about letting go and the Vinaya is about clinging. And he said, you must find that confusing. <laughs> and at that time I did, you know, it's because we were learning the Vinaya in a very strict <clears throat> uh, with the Vinaya. So uh, it tended to be like, you know, emphasis so much on on conforming to this, this these rules and these precepts and so forth. And at the same time, there was this attitude of letting go. And of course, notice that this, this just letting go, this the, the, the opposite, letting go and clinging uh, are words or concepts in the mind. So I found in my own life, you know, I tended to, to like the, the idea of letting go and freedom and liberation, and then but the clinging to a lot of of uh, precepts and disciplinary rules and so forth. Uh, you know, I found something that was going against my own cultural uh, conditioning, which was all about freedom and self-expression and and go, you know, living your life for yourself. And, uh, and then within the structure of the discipline of the Vinaya, it's about duties that we, uh, knowing our duties to each other. So it's a, and this, and the, but the emphasis was on, not on blind conformity, but through letting go and clinging at the same time. 
Because Lung Po Cha said letting go, I mean clinging, to really learn the Vinaya and get it, get, uh, you know, established in that structure of the Samana. You have to study it and cling to it and de- develop it and, and keep, you know, using it to where it becomes your kind of way of living. It's like learning a musical instrument or a dance. You know, you have to do things over and over and over till they become natural, where then they, they, they're no longer just affected movements and, and uh, conditions that seem to make one's life clumsy and uh, difficult, but they become part of the way one lives, the way one operates in the society. Now also consider, you know, the the um, we have to live within. You know, we're we're born into human bodies, which are conventions. Also, they're structures, they're conditions. So we, you know, we're stuck for a lifetime, incarcerated in a, in the human form, from birth to death. And, and it's a sensitive form in a sense realm. So then, how do you let go? How do you let go of conditioned phenomena when you're incarcerated in one for a lifetime? <laughs> and you're in this terribly sensitive, you know, unrelenting sensitivity for a lifetime. You know, this, how do you do it? How do you get out of the born, the created, the form, the condition. Because it, it, you know, just from the conditioned view, from the self-view, it seems impossible. How can I, Ajahn Sumato, uh, ever be liberated from this body or this, or these uh, emotions or memories or tendencies or opinions or views? How do, is there any hope to get out of it or do I just resign myself to to it in some way, or just kind of distract myself from from really contemplating it very seriously and always looking, uh, you know, trying to live my life in a, in a world in a dream maybe or a illusory world that I might uh, be prone to believe in. So this. Uh, this is the challenge, you know. If the planet Earth, it's all about conditioned phenomena, isn't it? The, what's happening now, like the floods in Pakistan and the tsunami a few years ago and, and all these natural catastrophes are, you know, this is, uh, these are, it, we can't say it's anybody's fault. It's, it's the, this realm we're in. It's a dangerous realm. And so there's a saying that you see the danger in the samsara. It makes you awaken to the deathless, to reality. And notice that so much of our cultural conditioning, and speaking for myself anyway, wasn't about seeing the danger in the samsara. You know, the American dream is not about seeing the danger in samsara. It's about becoming, trying to make things better and better and uh, be successful and so forth. So, and, and be, uh, you know, free, independent, self-assertive, uh, on and on like this. The, the, the way of the American dream is based on not contemplating the way things are, but trying to make things the way one would like them to be. Try to manipulate the conditioned realm rather than understanding it. So I remember as a boy growing up in the 40s, in 1940s, 1950s, you know, I used to read comic books and they had all these like Flash Gordon and 
and the future futuristic scenes in comic books with uh, pictures of you know cartoons of modern cities you know in the future with big motorways and like spaghetti junctions and skyscrapers and and uh, all kinds of aircraft wonderful things that seemed to be fantasies back in 1950. And now you go look at any modern city, <laughs> it, it looks pretty much like the cartoon that I noticed like in, the co in the comic book. And then also, you know, in the past decade or two decades, it's the, the technology, computers, uh, Internet, all this is, is you know, it's, to me it's, it's miraculous. Because, it, you know, one can do so many things. It's so fascinating, interesting information just at your fingertips. You know, you want to find out about something and you go on the net and pretty soon you've got it right there in front of you all about this or that or this person or that person. Oh, that used to be a fantasy when I was a boy. That was fantasy world. And so, you know, the, we have been very successful in manipulating the conditioned realm. You know, we've, you know, we can pat ourselves on the back and congratulate ourselves on being so clever. But also, we realize the meaninglessness of it. You know, the more, you know, the more we have, the more uh, miracle, miracle, miracle uh, miraculous kind of uh, machines we can invent. It's not enough, is it? It's still, we're still bound into the born, the created, the form, the originated. And then also, at this time, there's so much awareness around the degeneration of overpopulation, of, of uh, pollution, of nature itself, of uh, the disappearance of various species, and melting of the ice caps, and glaciers, and pollution of the seas, and the air, and it goes on and on with, with all our uh, ability to create with the conditioned realms, or manipulate. Is it really creation, or is our just clever abilities to manipulate conditioned phenomena uh, into, very, into fulfilling our wishes and our desires? <clears throat> and so the, the result is, it's, it's, you know, it has certain advantages. I certainly, I'm not criticizing it, and I certainly enjoy much of it <laughs> that I, you know, against it. But also recognize the, that it's not liberation. In fact, one tends to get even bound into it, become addicted to it, dependent upon it. So in uh, some of our life, just notice that this, this emphasis I've been making a lot on this, there is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. And because there is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned, there is the escape from the born, the created, the formed, the conditioned. Now this is my working model for, for practice. You know, so uh, this is... Uh, I've, you know, it doesn't take much to to recognize the born, the created, the form, the condition. And then there's this wonderful statement, there is an escape from it. You're not just, you know, even though it looks hopeless much of the time, there is an escape from it. And because there is an escape, because there is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned, if there was not this, then there'd be no escape from the born, the created, the form, the condition. We'd just be helpless victims of conditions. You know, when some people have 
terrible conditioning. You know, we don't always get the best conditions. Most of us have good, good conditions and not good conditions and mediocre ones. Some people seem to really be victims of fate, you know, like really having a lot of really nasty conditions to deal with. But it doesn't, isn't about the quality of the condition, it's um, to try to get out of the nasty conditions into the, into the sublime ones, but to be totally free. There is an escape because there, now notice that statement, there is, it's not, it's not a supposition, it's not theoretical, it's not philosophical, it's a, it's a statement of fact. I take this as a statement of fact, it's a ati, Bikaway, Ajatang, Aputang, Akatang, Asankatang. It's like there is. So it, it, this is the this is a fact. Okay, it's a fact, but and what is it? We want to find out what it is. And what, that desire to know something we don't know, isn't it? The desire to we we, we understand the concept. And we want to escape from the born, the created, the form, the conditioned. And there is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. What is it? Where is it? How do I get there? And, and then, of course, this is the thinking mind, isn't it? The self-view. Uh, that comes into it. You know, like, uh, I'm, I'm weary of the born, the created, the form, the conditioned. I want to escape from it, from birth and death, from this, the danger of samsara, seeing the, you know, this, this the endless re reiterating, rep repetitive cycles of this and that going on in our minds, and seeing the changes of the seasons and the aging of our own bodies and so forth. How do you get out of an, an old body, you know? How do you get out of, how do you escape from uh, the sense of yourself as a person, a personality, uh, an emotion, an idea, an opinion? How do you, how can you escape from it? Is there, or is it like suppressing? Do we just learn how to suppress? and deny. Most of us are already good at that. You know, so much of my conditioning was about suppressing and denying. <clears throat> so that doesn't work, just trying to be positive and, and be happy and, and, uh, and try to seek happiness as my goal in life. Or excitement, adventure, romance. Pleasure, comfort, success. Or in the, those of us who take on the summoner form or many of the lay people here have this, you know, intuitive sense. There is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. This is intuition. It's not, it's not a fact that you can uh, hold, you can find on the internet. It's not like that. But it's it's here and now. It's recognizable. It's reality itself, and that's where this uh, uh, this mindfulness, this word mindfulness, sati sampachanya, is is the key word. That's the key to the door the prison cell. <clears throat> How the escape hatch is through mindfulness. So that's our, that's our job as summoners, is, is uh, to learn how to use, how, learn how to be mindful, develop, cultivate mindfulness. And then that, you know, taken a, on the level of sakayaditi or personality view. You know, it doesn't work with me, 
Ajahn Sumedho always trying to be mindful. He said, I've done that. You know, I started out, I got the point on the intellectual level and then I kept trying to make myself mindful <clears throat> because I was grasping the idea of mindfulness rather than being mindful, being mindfulness itself. So that's, that's what we mean by awakened, you know, this, where we are, we have to live out our lives within these structures of the human body and it's karma, the way it moves and changes and ages and whatever happens to us, to these forms, successor, failure, praise and blame, whatever the, the conditions might be, uh, that we have no control over, very little control over, but there is an escape not through running away or through denying or, de or destroying, but through knowing, through this mindfulness, path to the deathless, the deathless, awakening to reality itself. So this is, when I came to uh, live in, the, in England, I'd only had ten years as a, as a bhikkhu, <clears throat> and, uh, and then I was coming to a foreign country, never lived here before, as a Buddhist monk, and uh, um, all kinds of unknown factors, you know, and one didn't know what to expect, living in London, and uh, what kind of people I would meet or what would happen. But the thing was, there was this sense of, there was this kind of, because of George Sharp's invitation, and this, there was a, you know, supportive, a few supportive, supportive people who understood the, what we were doing and the importance of our lives. Lung Pa Cha encouraged me to come here. So, so I did. But the thing that's always kept me from, uh, you know, being, uh, not being de destroyed by all the things that happened to me when I'm out of the context of a Thai forest tradition out of the safety net of uh, our monasteries in Thailand was this this point of mindfulness. I knew that that was the that had the priority under all situations. You know this I always made this this, this the priority whatever happens to me in this country. This is what I refer to and cultivate. And so over the years, you know, through the uh, various experiences of 34 years I've lived here, this, is, this has been the, the, uh, the escape hatch. So that, uh, and you know, you use it no matter what because all of us are going to be subjected to praise and blame, success and failure, happiness and suffering, good health and bad health, respect and disrespect, love and hate, and that's the nature of this realm. And so just because you're a, a samana, uh, you know, practicing meditation doesn't mean you you have an easy ride. It's not you know. It doesn't mean you're you're going to get out of all kinds of things. And it means you you have the that kind of reminding, that kind of of uh, direction and intention. So I remember when, when I was living in Hampstead, 
before Chithurst. You know, then I, somebody sent me a postcard, some of you might remember it, of this, uh, it's a cartoon of this man, old man, looking out a window. Uh, and, and one thing that really impressed me about London, being an American from the West Coast, was all the bricks, all the brick buildings. <laughs> uh, now I'm used to them, so I don't hardly notice bricks anymore. But when, when you lived in, on the West Coast especially, of the United States, everything's made out of wood. Brick buildings, brick houses are, are not very common, or stone, but everything is wooden structures, frame structures are made out of wood. And of course, Seattle is right in the, in the big timber industry area, you know, the, these big timber companies uh, have stripped the forest there of everything. So, I like this, this cartoon, this, the cartoon, old man, he had a white mustache, had a coffee mug in one hand, and he was then looking out the window of a kind of Victorian type wind, sash window. You see, one of these sash windows, and then the brickwork. And so you didn't see the whole house or anything, but just the brickwork and the little vent they have, you know, those little kind of um, filigree vents they have in the brickwork. And then this old man looking out the window and it's raining and the raindrops falling into the garden outside and he's just looking at the rain falling. And somehow I love this picture. I still have it. Uh, and it's... Uh, because in, in Hampstead, suddenly I was faced with some really heavy situations. <clears throat> and uh, one thing, the EST was an utter mess and with fighting factions. And, uh, and then the, some of the monks that I came with and I didn't get on very well. So you're, you're living in this townhouse in northwest London, and uh, and then I'm supposed to be I'm the focus for all this, you know. So everybody has I'm supposed to solve all the problems, <clears throat> and so this brings up the sakayaditi, you know, and people see you in that light, you know, you're you're everything. You're the teacher. You're the most senior. I wasn't that senior to the others, but the most senior. At that time, there were hardly any Western monks that had even 10 years. So that was quite an achievement in those days. Now it's nothing. We've got all these terrors all over the place. But <laughs> in 77, they were a rare species. And so... Also, at this, by the time I arrived in England, uh, the Buddhist communities in this country had gone through some rather scandalous problems. So, especially with Theravadan monks and Tibetan monks. So, the, you know, the, well, the head monk at the Thai temple had, had disrobed and married uh, one of the ladies and and uh, there were other problems, scandalous problems, usually around sex. And so <clears throat> here I come in, I'm not knowing this, you know, I come into this, this uh, country and I'm an American too. So if you're American in this country, you know, they don't quite know what to think of you. <laughs> and being a Buddhist monk and then the, the the sanya or the memories of these scandals, recent scandals, uh, was the people were pretty, you know, we'll see what, what he's like. <clears throat> so, you know, coming into a situation completely uh, kind of, uh, you know, the only preparation I had, the only survival mechanism that I had at the time was mindfulness. 
that's all I, that's the only possibility, you know, otherwise I would have, I would have um, given up. I would have gone back to Thailand. So, so anyway, I, uh, I kept watching my mind. And, uh, and then I kept looking at this little cartoon of this old man with a coffee mug, because I like coffee. And, and I like these uh, Victorian sash windows and brick facades and filigree vents. That really appealed to me. Especially in Hampstead, you see a lot of those kind of buildings. So, so, uh, and then these kind of English country gardens, you know, with hedgerows and flowers and then the, these drops of rain falling gently onto the, into the garden was very peaceful. I thought, that's all I have to do. I don't have to solve all these problems or figure it all out. I just have to look out at the rain with my cup of coffee. <laughs> and that symbolized to me mindfulness. That's all. I don't have to solve all the problems or set everything straight or do anything special. Just look out the window, watch the rain fall on the, in the garden. And that was such a kind of sense of peacefulness, you know, because notice like when, when you feel obliged, when you feel put on to by the society you're in, or you, maybe they aren't doing it, but you feel this because your own habit tendency come up in your consciousness. So when you're the focus, everybody's looking at you, and then you're the, the, the head monk, you're the, the, you're the one the English Sangha trust looking to, you know, hope all their hopes are placed on me to figure out how to establish some kind of monastic setting in, in England. And uh, what am I? <laughs> and then there's conflicts everywhere. What, what happens? What, what is the way to deal with that? And so that's, then I kept this, this little cartoon and then the story about sound of silence. And during the, the, you know, the worst time that all these problems were going on, the first year was the nightmare of conflicts and acrimony. And then uh, I was walking down Haverstock Hill in the afternoon, and and suddenly the sound of silence attacked me. You know, so it's, Haverstock Hill is quite a busy street, and uh, and it was in midday. It was in the afternoon, and suddenly it like it just it just that's all I heard for for a few seconds. Just this this vibration. And it stops all this kind of tendency of the mind to, to uh, proliferate and, and feel, you know, dwell on my, you know, be caught in my own reactions to the situation I'm in. And, and I, I noticed this in Thailand when I, in the first year when I was a era, I became aware of it, but I never really cultivated it. Till I till I went to live in London, <laughs> and so I've always been grateful. I know exactly the spot in London where it happened. It's such a stunt, <laughs> and uh, uh, and then I I started cultivating this, and uh, eventually. You know, I began to use it in, in in the midst of because I found it gave me a reference point to 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 let go of the the emotional uh, reactions I was having. Because if you're in a like an AST at that time, there's two sides. One one wanted to stay in London, and the other wanted to sell the Hampstead Vihar and move to the countryside. <clears throat> Of course, I wanted to move to the countryside, but then there was a faction that didn't want that. I wanted to stay in Hampstead, because Hampstead is 
quite a nice place to live if you're in London. And uh, quite upmarket, I think, it's considered, you know, a lot of, of uh, quite renowned people live in that <laughs> So, uh, anyway, and you get in the, in the middle of these uh, bitter arguments, and then you get pulled around by people's emotions and, and your own. I remember this old man looking out the window, sound of silence. And I began to notice I could actually stop just being emotionally kind of like a yo-yo, going up and down with the, the, the vibrations in the room. I could actually steady myself in this state of poise, attentiveness, where I'm not shutting out, I'm not repressing, denying, I'm just not getting caught up into, I'm not letting the, the conditioned world obsess me or take me over. Well, at first, I could only do it for, you know, not very long, but at least I began to get the point of it, how to cultivate it, how to develop it. <clears throat> and it did give me a sense of being able to work with a situation, you know, that it wasn't, you know, if on a personal level I felt it was impossible situation, but because I don't believe in the personal, then, you know, I did, and, and I had this, I thought it just bear with, this is, this is my path, this is the way I, I cultivate this, this awareness with this stillness. Because when I recognize and rest in this uh, sound of silence, then I'm able to discern suffering and non-suffering. Uh, discern the difference between self and non-self. So then this, this teaching of there is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned, and then this, this particular teaching suddenly said, this is it. This is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. Because as, a, as I began to appreciate it, recognize it, and cultivate it, then, then I could actually witness, observe the suffering I create by getting caught up in the born, the created, the formed, the conditioned. And so, you know, there's this discerning, this sati sampachanya, sati panya. It gives you this, these words like mindfulness, wisdom, ability to discern suffering and non-suffering. So emotionally, you can be suffering. You can feel upset or disappointed or angry or whatever. And that can be, you know, maybe that's your karma for the present moment, the conditions for being upset are like this. But trusting in this awareness then, if I, if I really trust it and surrender, let go totally of the born that created the form that condition, it's non-suffering. I can discern it. There's a discerning ability. This is what panya is, wisdom. To know suffering and non-suffering. Now we have to live in this realm till we die, you know, so it's, it's, uh, it's just the way it is, you know, through the aging process of your own body, through the successes and failures and praise and blame that, that uh, is part of our karmic inheritance, this realm.
And then we, we can see the danger in the samsara of being attached to it, being in, deluded by it, being uh, kind of obsessed with it in our various ways that we deal with the samsara, with the conditioned realm. That it's just, it's just an endless kind of vortex of changing conditions. And, and there doesn't, when you're caught into it, there seems to be no way out of it. It's just, it just seems, that's why, you know, one takes to drink or commit suicide or does something, you know, to, to just relieve the, the, the hell of being in this, uh, swirling vortex of change. Or, as the Buddha encouraged us, to awaken to it, not to destroy things are, not to annihilate the conditioned realm, but to understand it, to know it, to discern it, recognize it. It is like this. You know, conditions change according to other conditions, so you can't find any stable conditions, you know, that, that you can depend on to always be there and, and uh, give you security. That, Conditioned realm is the very nature is insecure. Like Lung Po Cha, my na, it's always uncertain, insecure. That's its nature. But there is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. And because there is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned, there is the escape from the born, the created, the formed, the conditioned. Now escape might sound like, you know, that can be an English translation. <clears throat> sounds like we're running away from something. So, you, you know, really, not don't take words too literally. <laughs> <You know? laughs> They're merely kind of expedient means, the words we have to use. Uh, but um, it's good enough. It gives, gets the point across. There is a way out of it that we're not just helpless creatures caught in a web, in a vortex of change. That there is the way out of it. And it's not through destruction or through magic, we don't, we don't, you know, create another superior vortex to live in, <laughs> more sublime one. We, we awaken. And that's why it's so important to recognize this realm the way it is. Planet Earth, human body, sense world, having eyes, ears, nose, tongue, such a sensitive form as your own body, having to live with it. Uh, for a lifetime, you know, this is, and then we tend to identify with it. We cling to it. We, we believe it's me. We, we, everybody affirms, you know, they think this body is Ajahn Sumato. You know, you all look at me and say, that's Ajahn Sumato. On a conventional level, I say, I'm Ajahn Sumato. <laughs> but the escape isn't Ajahn Sumato. It's knowing, awareness, awakened attention to the way it is. And that's intuitive awareness. Or it's, it's a sense beyond the sense. It's intelligence, it's universal intelligence. It's not about knowledge you get from books, from uh, the conditioned realm. It's universal wisdom, universal knowing. And we can, we can actually realize that within these, whatever form, you know, whatever condition your body is in right now, or mental states you're having, there is the escape from the born, the created, the form, the condition.
So that's quite, you know, that is a, that is a wonderful thing to know. You know, it's, a, it's like the good news, the Christians call the Bible the good news and things like this. But this is really, to me, more inspiring even because it, it's very practical. And, and it, it, you know, it's, it's not about believing in things, it's through investigation, through, through your own uh, kind of efforts and willingness to really look into and observe and to trust in your ability to, to observe your feelings, your emotions, your sensations, <clears throat> your habits, and to to recognize the realm that we're in is like this. This is not, you know, a peaceful heavenly realm. This is planet Earth like this. You know, one time, you know, you you look at, you know, they dig up all these uh, relics of dinosaurs, and you think, my God, what would it be like to live? You know. At one time, you know, millions of years ago, there were these huge dinosaurs running around here. You know, some of them are enormous, and they kind of very sharp teeth and frightening creatures. You know, what are they doing? How did they get here? You know, and all when we, we you know, look at the, what we rec what we call evolution, and then suddenly we find ourselves at this time and this place in this rather delicate form, our human body, you know, with the floods, earthquakes, typhoons, tsunamis, and volcanoes and all the rest. We're in a vast universe. It's so vast, you know, it boggles the mind. You know, you just can't fathom this the, the wonder of the universe we're in because we're just like this little flea on it, aren't we? This little body looking up at the sky. And from this position of being nothing much in particular, no matter how important you might think you are, <laughs> actually when you put yourself in the position of just like a flea or a termite or something, And then this, this, this incredible changing conditioned universe in all its wonder and horror all around us going on to infinity. And there's an escape not through denial or destruction but through understanding. So the escape is the unborn Realizing there is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. It's reality itself. There's nothing fantastic, nothing that you have to, you know, become God to understand. You don't, you don't have to know everything about everything. You don't have to be born as a God to get a better perspective on the conditioned realm. And this is what the Buddha was pointing to within this the very limited form that we find ourselves in, <clears throat> we have this ability to realize the deathless, to awaken to reality. And that's what the teaching is all about. You know, this, this marvelous teaching we have. Uh, you know, it's it, it does, it keeps reminding, like using the <clears throat> Four Noble Truths and these teachings from the, from the suttas. You know, they really, you know, not to just be some poly scholar or, or authority on scriptures, but apply them, you know, because they're pointing, they're reminding us. But it's not just trying to figure it out with your brain, but actually looking, you know, it's very clearly spelled out in the Four Noble Truths. Suffering, understanding suffering, suffering has been understood. There's a, this, these three aspects of each Noble Truth is a reflective form. 
it's just not three facts uh, that you have to memorize, but it, it states it's the first one. The first one, there is suffering, is uh, is the intellectual one, is the statement. Bariyati Dhamma. And then the second one, second aspect, it tells you what to do. It's bhati bhata, practice. It should be understood, suffering. And then the third aspect is the insight, what they call bhati weight. Suffering has been understood. So this is like this, this I call the re, a reflective paradigm. It's, it's innate in this, in this, uh, in the Buddhist teaching. It's not about believing and grasping Buddhist teachings and trying to become a Buddhist and, and uh, all that, but it, it gives you, uh, you know, very clear, uh, practical instructions on something so basic to every human individual about using suffering. You know, so it's not, that's not a esoteric experience, isn't it? It's not sublime or refined or special. It's, it's ordinary suffering for, this is a realm of change. And it changes according to conditions we have no control over, so we experience it as suffering. But then our awakening to it, to suffering, is the escape from. We still feel, we still have our karma to live with, but we're no longer blinded, limited, ignorant around it, because we we have that insight into the deathless reality, amata dhamma. So that's why when I give these talks, they, they say, aparuta de sangamatasataura e sotavantaba munchantu satang. That's, that's the, the gate to the deathless are open. To me, that's perfect. That's such a relief. The Buddha said this. <laughs> <clears throat> And then, do I know? You know, when I first started, I thought, well, I don't, do I really know? Make, a lot of people say things like that that are crazy. <laughs> you know, people have told me they were God. You know, I've met people come tell me they were God or the Messiah or Maitreya. But in, it obviously struck that intuitive sense in me because, you know, it, it was something, it wasn't, it, you know, it wasn't based on, on the kind of, you know, on the ego at all. It's a statement. There is, the gate to the deathless is open. Have faith in this. No, it doesn't mean to believe in something called the deathless, but it, it's much more practical. Trust this. Put your trust in this. No, begin to awaken to this gate, this deathless gate. Find it. It's here and now. It's not something you have to find or, you know, seek for in any other place, but just awaken. Learn how to pay attention to life. Be the awareness itself rather than trying to become somebody who becomes aware in the future. So, in the past few years I've kept emphasizing this, these three uh, fetters, first three fetters that blind us, that are the obstructions to the path. The sake ditti silabhata baramasa kicha. So, and the reason why, because this is, it, until we actually see through those fetters, you know, we'll, we're just um, caught in the in the sangsara. We we kind of maybe get inspired. Maybe you get inspired by this kind of talk or this kind of reflection or whatever. But you know, inspiration is not it. It gets kind of gives us a, 
may be the interest and impetus. But then it, it really uh, takes this determination. No matter what happens, the old man with his coffee mug looking out into the garden at the rain falling, sound of silence. So I'll, I'll leave you with this. <laughs>